what do we call what it is that I'm about to do at this point of the service? What do we call this? Uh, some people call it a speech. I met, there was a visitor in the church a few weeks ago and I met him at the door. He shakes my hand. He says, sir, thank you very much for your speech today. I was like, it's not a speech. You know? uh, some people call it a, a lecture. Uh, some, some people call it a, a, a talk. But here's the thing. Do you see why what this is it isn't a talk? Do you see why it isn't a speech? Do you see why it isn't a lecture? If it was any of those things, what I would be doing just now is I would be standing before you giving you uh, my thoughts and my ideas <laughs> about something. And let me tell you this, as my wife would say, you do not want to know my thoughts and my ideas about anything because usually they are rubbish. Now, what we've got at this point uh, of the sermon is what? It's, it's preaching, isn't it? It's preaching and preaching is different. And we see why preaching is different. It's because what we know from Scripture is that preaching, and we've got to think about this, we've got to get our heads around this, preaching is where God has chosen to speak with his children. That's, that's quite a thought, isn't it? That God has seen fit. Now, almighty God, so the God who, who has created you, the God who has given us life. He has seen fit in his infinite wisdom to communicate with us. And how has he chosen to do it? He has chosen to communicate by us opening up the Bible. <laughs> and for that to be expounded, and for that to be applied. It is a thought, isn't it? And surely it means some surely it means that, that preaching is important. And all of that leaves us with a question. Look, if, if preaching is God speaking to us, if this is how God has, has seen fit to communicate us, what do we do with it? Like, even now, this morning, like, what do we do with preaching? How do we respond to this? You know, what, what do we do? How do we listen? What do we do with preaching? Well, in Acts chapter 17... In the verses that we read earlier on, Luke takes us from, do you remember, from Thessalonica. He takes us into Berea, and it is that, it is this that we are confronted with this morning. Our, you see the sermon title? Our necessary response to the preaching of God's Word. So, if you haven't done so already, please turn with me in your Bible eh, to Acts chapter 17. Let's consider what it is that God's saying to us in His Word here. First of all, we see here the need to prioritize God's word. We see the need in Acts chapter 17 to prioritize God's word. Okay, if you're put on the spot, what would you say your favorite film is? I was thinking about this earlier on, my favorite film. I think I would have to go, I was thinking about it, I don't know, it's a difficult one. I think I might go for the war classic. The Great Escape, you know? Everyone's seen the, you know, come on, you must have seen The Great Escape. Everyone has, uh, knows of Steve McQueen and his buddies trying to break free from the prisoner of war camp, you know, and they're tunneling and they're getting out of the tunnel and they're sort of, the cover of night and they're running into the forest. They're trying to make their, everyone knows The Great Escape. Have a think, though, about what it is that you've got in front of you here. 
Because in some ways it's the same thing. Last time we were in Thessalonica, do you remember what happened? We saw that mob. We saw a riot going on in Thessalonica. And these people were formed to try, and this mob was formed to try and sort of get, go after Paul and go after Silas. Now look at this, though. Look at verse 10. Look what's happened here. Now we've got the Christians in Thessalonica. (laughs) They're trying to mount their own great escape under the cover of dark, aren't they? They're trying to smuggle Paul out of the city. Now, what I want you to do is imagine what that great escape for the Christians in Thessalonica would have been like. Imagine the panic. Like, imagine how frantic it would have been. Like, their lives are on the line here. And Paul, you know, he's obviously trying to get together what he needs to get out of that place. And they would be asking each other, the Christians, have we been seen by the mob? You know, are these people, are, are they following us? Do you, do you see the, the, the chaos of it all? Wait a minute, look at this. Look what they do next. So under the cover of night, they are running out of Thessalonica. This is a mad, great escape. They run, look at first thing. It says they get to, this is amazing, they get to the next city, Berea, and what do they do? It says they immediately go to the synagogue, then it says that the Bereans received the word. Wait a minute, do you see what that means? Like they're open from the city, this great escape, that means that the first thing, very first thing they do when they get into Berea is what? First thing they do is preach about Jesus. Now imagine it was you or me that's just escaped with the skin of our teeth, escaped from this bloodthirsty mob. We get into Berea, what are we going to do? I know what I would do. I'd be hiding. You know, I would be lying low. I would be trying to catch my breath. I'd be trying to recover. Do you see it? Not Paul, not Silas. They get into the city. They open the door at the synagogue. Excuse me. Excuse me. Can we please tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ? And I think there's a, surely, there's a couple of things that we need to take from that into our own lives. First of all, this there, that has to influence how we are this morning in church. See, if, if your life is anything like mine, a Sunday morning is a pretty hectic experience, isn't it? Sunday morning before church. Um, like if you've got kids, you've got to try and get the kids ready on a Sunday morning. Let me tell you, if you don't have kids, that is not as easy as it sounds to get the kids ready first thing before church. And then you've got to try and get to church on time as well, which is never the easiest thing to do either. And then maybe you're on stewarding as well. Or maybe you've got Sunday school organized. Maybe you're doing the music. Or maybe there's church lunch. Now, wait a minute. See all that frenzy? See the chaos? Do you see the danger? The danger is that we, with all this chaos, we take our eyes off what this is about. We take our eyes off the fact that this is about worship. That this is about us coming in here to listen to Almighty God in His Word. You see it like Paul in Berea in this church. Even if it's chaotic and even if it's all this frenzy and it's frantic, we've got to remain fixed on, on God, fixed in the preaching. And this has also got impact. Okay, so it's got impact the church. It's also got to impact our lives at home. Because I'm guessing, like I've just said, that a Sunday morning is stressful and hectic. 
I'm guessing your Monday to Saturday is infinitely more hectic than your Sunday morning. My wife and I were talking about this yesterday. Isn't it true that London life is like you're constantly being chased by somebody? That's kind of how it feels to live in the city, doesn't it? Because again, you've got all the stress with the kids. But then you've got the stress of work on top of that. Then you've got all this, this, just the total lack of time that we have at our disposal. Friends, again, do you see it? Again, like Paul, we have got to be committed, even if it is chaotic, we have got to be committed to making Jesus known. Do you see that? To the people that we meet, even if it is chaotic, the priority for us at, at church, but at home, the priority has to be the gospel. So we prioritize God's word. We see that with Paul. Okay. Secondly, second thing to consider, um, we need to prepare for God's word. We need to prepare for God's word. Um, This week I made a video uh, of my one-year-old daughter and it is by far and away the best video that I've made of my kids. I love it. You've got a picture. Juliet, my one-year-old, is sitting on the couch at home. She's sitting upright, but she's falling asleep. She's falling asleep. And you know what that's like with little babies? You know, she's sitting there and the eyes go and then she wakes up again and then the eyes go and then she wakes up again. And I'm sort of looking at Juliet and I was thinking, wow, I've been there. You know, I've been there a hundred million times before at church, you know, where maybe it's a wee bit hot in the church and the minister's gone on and on and on and the eyes get a bit heavy and then the head starts to nod, you know, and the minister probably thinks that you're agreeing with this sort of second, actually, you're just falling asleep. Now, we might know that feeling, okay, but there is a serious point. Because with preaching, if it's that important, remember what we said at the start, how do we listen to this? What should a heart be like when there's preaching of God's word? Well, I think in the synagogue, in Berea, in the first century, we've got an example to follow. Because Paul's burst in, if you like, and he's telling them about Jesus. How do they respond, these Bereans? Have a look at it. Note a couple of things here. What do these people do when Paul's preaching? Look at verse 11. Look at this. It says, they received the message. How do they do it? They received the message as they were sleeping. No. They received the message with great eagerness, is the word. What does that mean? They received the preaching. They received the message with eagerness. Well, surely it means that God prepared these people. You know, God prepared these people so that at that point, Paul's telling them about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, and so they were kind of enthusiastic about it. You know, they they were alert. They were, they had a sense of anticipation there about about what it is that, that what Paul was saying, because God was working in their hearts. Now, okay, what do we do with that? How do we apply that? What does that mean for us and, and preaching? Well, I think we have to be honest with ourselves just now. We cannot come to church and come in and sit on a chair and sort of decide. We cannot fabricate this. We cannot just come in and sit down and just say, do you know what? 
See, this morning, I'm going to be enthusiastic about the preaching. It doesn't work like that, does it? It doesn't work like that. If there's going to be eagerness for preaching, there first has to be preparation for preaching. And what does that look like? I mean, what does that mean for us? How do we, how would you prepare to hear from God's word? I think surely, firstly, there's got to be a physical side to this preparation. You know, just that, you know, say you had a job interview this week on Tuesday morning, first thing. You are not going to go out partying all night on Monday night. You're not. So maybe, is it controversial to say it? Maybe we need to make sure we are fresh to hear from God on a Sunday morning. A physical side of the preparation. But there's also got to be a spiritual side to this as well, doesn't there? We're coming in here to hear from God. We need to on a Saturday night pray about this, wrestle with God about this. We need to on a Sunday morning be asking him to speak to our hearts. Did you do that? Do we do that on a Sunday morning before we come in here? Are we asking God to speak to to us? Maybe if we do that, we would receive the word with eagerness. But they do something else. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. So these people in the synagogue, they receive the word with eagerness. Look at this though. You've got to love it. They examine the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. (laughs) They examine the scripture to see if what Paul was saying was true. Do you see it? You know, it's not that Christians are brainwashed in Berea. It's not that they're just blindly following whatever this guy happens to say. They are assessing diligently the preaching in light of Scripture. You see all that enthusiasm they had for Scripture? It was matched, or enthusiasm they had with preaching, it was matched with this industry, with the Scriptures. Honestly, come on. Isn't that a lesson for us? Do you not think in some ways it's a rebuke? A rebuke for us? These people listening to preaching, wrestling with preaching, but then taking the preaching to Scripture and studying exactly what it was that God was saying to them in His Word. It's marvelous stuff. What what an attitude to have. What a heart. So we need to prioritize preaching. We need to prepare for the Word The third one, we need to probe God's word. We need to probe God's word. So if you're following me, we're seeing that in Berea, there's a group of people that are doing what? They're hearing from Paul. Paul's preaching. And there's a group of people that are studying on a daily basis, note as well, on a daily basis, they're studying the preaching in light of God's word. All I want to think about in this third point is who's doing that like we could just say is the brains that are doing it it's more than that though i look to see who it is that's doing it do you see in verse 12 who's doing this who's listening who's studying their bibles well you've got mention of who you've got mention of jews you've got mention later on of greek men here you go though You've got mention of a number of prominent women who are studying 
and reading the Bible. So because of that, I want to ask you a question. Let's embrace the controversy. Let's go for it. How do you think God treats women in his word? There's lots of whispers about this in the church. This church necessarily. But how, I mean, how do we think that biblical Christianity deals with women? Or how does God's word view women? Do you think that God's word sidelines women, treats women as inferior? Do you think that the Bible treats women as secondary to men? Is that what you think? Hear this. The more that we read and study Scripture, the more we find it often contrary to the, the values of society at the time. Hear this. God's Word consistently treats and values women highly. The very often you read Scripture and the heroes of story are the women and you might ask well why is he talking about that here because this is one of the themes at this point in the book of acts isn't it think about it the value of women the role of women in the new testament church like acts 18 we are just about to hit get into priscilla and her role in the new testament church a prominent role what have we just seen We have just seen, who was the first convert in this missionary journey? It is Lydia. It is a woman, prominent woman in the New Testament church. Second convert, slave girl. What happened in Thessalonica? Thessalonica. What were the guys, what were we doing in Thessalonica? The men were looking for a fight. We were forming a mob and looking for someone to beat up. What were the women doing in Thessalonica? The women were listening to God And they were responding, what is happening in Berea? The men are looking for a fight. What are the women doing? The women are studying scripture. The women are listening to the gospel. Please do not make a mistake about this. What we are seeing in Acts is that women were integral to the life of the New Testament church. There's something else though. So who's involved in the studying of the word and listening? So women were involved Look at verse 12, though. Who else is involved? Think about this. It doesn't just say Jews. It says many Jews. It's not just Greek men. Who's studying the Bible? Many Greek men. It's not just one or two women. It's a number of prominent women. Do you see this? Do you see the point? It was not just the religious establishment. So it's not just the the religious elite, you know, the big guys. It's not just them who are listening to this preaching and going to Scripture and poring over Scripture. It's the people. You know, it's the masses that are paying attention and studying the Word of God. And I think what we have to understand is that these verses here are absolutely key to what is known as the perspicuity or the clarity of Scripture. The fact that we do not rely upon some rabbi somewhere or some priest somewhere or some theologian just to sort of show us and enlighten us to the message of scripture. No, we don't do that. Think about this. That what has happened in his goodness to us, in his grace to us, is God has given us his word in a form that who can understand? We can understand this. 
God has given us his word in a way that they understand it, that I can understand it. Now, okay, we are perhaps not going to understand all of Scripture immediately. But listen to me, will you please? If we pick up Scripture at home, and if we study and we read the Scriptures in the power of the Holy Spirit, do you know what's going to happen? We are going to understand the plain meaning of God's Word. We are un- understand. We will understand more about God. We're going to understand more about Jesus. We are going to understand more about our salvation. If you do this, if you pick up your Bible, if you read it, if you study it, we are going to hear the voice of God. So we must probe God's Word. So we prioritize, we prepare for, we probe God's Word. The last one, our fourth and last one. We need to also protect God's Word. Now, it sounds strange. Follow me. We need to protect God's Word. Let's go back to the Great Escape, shall we? For a moment, why not? Let's go back to the Great Escape. So if you've seen it, you'll remember that the classic scene uh, the bit that's used for, well, used for all the posters where Steve McQueen is horsing about in the field in his, uh, in his lovely Triumph motorbike, you know? You've definitely seen that. He's, he's boosting about the fields. He's trying to get away from all these Germans and all these Nazis who have been chasing Steve McQueen, right? And you know that scene? That's what happens here. Because in Acts chapter 17, you know that thing that we talked about at the beginning, the chance of of Paul being chased, it happens. Like you could say that Paul's, if you like, his worst fear has come true because those Jews from Thessalonica that were after him, they've come. And they, they arrive to oppose him in Berea. They've arrived. And I think we need to note the opposition that we've got here because what we see is the opposition to preaching isn't just inevitable. I think what we see here is that opposition to preaching is also often predictable. Because look what happens in verse 13. These Jews do exactly the same things they did in Thessalonica. They arrive, and how do they oppose the gospel? How do they oppose the preaching? They do the same. They stir up and agitate the people against the preaching. But here's how I want to close. I want us to close by considering how the Christians in Berea, how the people of God respond to this new opposition to the preaching. Now, do you see what happens? How do the Christians respond? Do you notice that the section that we are dealing with today from 10 to 15 is bracketed? Did you notice that verse Verses 10 to 15 begin and end exactly the same way. Do you see that? At the start and at the end, we are told that the Christians, in the face of all this opposition, what they do is they grab Paul and they steal him away from danger. That's what happened in Thessalonica. That's what happens in Berea. They know, don't they, that if Paul is harmed, that this is going to hinder the advance and the spread of the gospel. So what do they do? They get Paul out of there. And they get him out of there as quickly as possible. And friends, I think in that we see what our response to God's word should be. 
that on a daily basis, not only should we be reading and studying the Bible, but that on a daily basis, we should be praying, we should be seeking to protect God's Word. How do we do that? How do we protect God's Word? Just said it. We we pray, don't we? It's one of the most important things that we can do. That we pray about the preaching. And I am asking you, not just whether you have done that, but will you do this? Will you pray about the preaching? Will you pray about your minister's preaching? Will you pray about your guest preacher's preaching? Will you pray about the preparation? Will you pray about the delivery of the preaching? Will you pray for yourselves in preaching that we are receptive to what God is saying? Will you pray for this, that what we're seeing here, will you pray against the opposition to the preaching? Do you see why? This isn't a talk. I mean, it isn't, it really isn't a speech. It would be a rubbish speech if it was a speech. This is preaching. This is where God speaks to us and he tells us about Jesus Christ. And I wonder maybe if there's someone in here who is thinking about that and seeing that for the very first time. Are you maybe seeing that this isn't just some guy up the front of the church? Are you seeing and realizing that right just now, at this very second, what is happening is that Almighty God is confronting you with the news that you can be saved from your sin? Do you see that that's happening just now? The Almighty God confronting you with the news that you can be forgiven. You can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you, do, are you seeing that? If so, I ask you, how are you going to respond to the preaching this morning? Really? How are you going to respond? Because I think if we see what this is, and if we see this God speaking through his word, then there's nothing for it, is there, than just to bow before our maker, and maybe, <laughs> like the prominent women of Berea, we respond with eagerness to this. And we cast ourselves onto Jesus Christ with, with everything that we, we are. Friends, friends, we must praise God. Why? This morning we are seeing surely that though the grass withers and the flowers fall, that the word of God is, stands forever. Let's pray.